ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. Rates of teenage pregnancy have been steadily dropping in Australia over the past 20 years. But in regional areas, there's a higher likelihood of teenagers becoming parents than their city counterparts. And teenage parents still face a lot of stigma and judgment. I mean, I don't think I've been anywhere where people haven't looked and stared at me. Yeah. And yeah, and yeah, it's definitely because you think, oh, well, now that I'm a mother, this is probably all I'm ever going to be. Mm. And a lot of people will tell you that too. You've stuffed your life up, you know, you've made the wrong decision. This is it now, this is your life. In the New South Wales Upper Hunter, a young parents' college is helping teen parents finish their education while managing the juggle of caring for their little ones. It's a bit of a rarity in Australia and it's having some success. That story coming up. I'm Sinead Mangan and this is Australia Wide, coming to you from Wajak Country, Perth. Federal police have shut down a network of websites responsible for distributing hundreds of thousands of child abuse pictures and videos through an internet domain connected to a remote Australian archipelago. The websites were using the domain .cc, which is assigned to the Cocos Keeling Islands off the West Australian coast. Locals were shocked by the news and describe it as a blot on an island that's best known for its beauty. Our reporter Jane Murphy has been following this story. Now, Jane, how has this tiny island off the WA coast become embroiled in what's essentially a child sex abuse investigation? Yeah, so the Australian Federal Police have just blocked 10 child exploitation websites each using the personalised internet domain of the Cocos Killing Islands. So that is .cc, used in the very same way that Australian websites use .au. And over the past decade, this domain has appeared on international watch lists. And even last year, it was listed ninth on the most abused top-level domains list. Responding to all this, the AFP have successfully identified and blocked 10 of the websites. Collectively, these websites were collectively used to distribute almost 1 million images and videos of child sex abuse. Jane, why were people distributing this content? Why did they use this .cc domain in particular? What was the reason for it? Yeah, so that's part of the ongoing investigation. But I spoke with uh, the acting cybercrime inspector, Cody Nagel, and he gave me a few reasons why these websites might be using .cc. Here's what he had to say. Some of them are very, very simple, simply because of cost. Um, others because they like the sound of .cc um, or, you know, the, the similar versions of it. Um, in, in, in this case, cost is definitely a factor because .cc was um, one of the cheapest domains to register. But we, we are working with the Shire of Cocos Keeling Islands, as well as the Office of the eSafety Commissioner and the Department of Infrastructure, Transport, Regional Develop, Development, Communications and the Arts to ensure that the abuse of the .cc top-level domain um, is, is no longer possible. That's Cody Nagel from the AFP. Now, he did mention there, Jane, that he's been working with the Shire of Cocos Keeling Islands. What's been the response on the island? I'd imagine appalled would be one response, but what have you heard from them? Yeah, so the Cocos is such a small place with a collective population of about 600 people. So 
pretty much there's zero crime. Frank Mills, the Shire CEO, he said that he was incredibly frustrated that such a beautiful place is being linked to this kind of criminal activity. Um, and here's what he had to say. Cocos is, um, is a wonderful place that has pretty much zero crime. And to have this blot, an awful blot, on the islands is, is abhorrent, particularly for it to be related to child sex abuse material. Um, this has been an ongoing history with the .cc domain. Um, it certainly paints um, an awful picture um, for the Cocos Keeling Islands and certainly the Shire as the owner of the .cc domain. As part of the investigation, we've put in processes to work with the AFP to identify anyone posting illegal materials and we'll be able to disrupt them um, in a very short period of time rather than having them sit out there for people to access. That's the CEO of the Shire of Cocos Keeling Islands, Frank Mills. And having been there, I can vouch for both the beauty of the island and also that there's zero crime. There's almost 100% employment in Cocos. It's quite an unusual place in that. Jane, what happens now with this investigation? So the investigation isn't over. Uh, the AFP have now issued a takedown notice, which, uh, which is put up on each of the websites, and visitors can no longer access any abuse material. Um, but that, unfortunately... That hasn't stopped many from trying. So since the websites were blocked in early October, more than 60,000 people from nearly 180 countries have tried to visit them. So what the AFP are currently doing is collecting each of these visitors' IP address and information uh, with plans to send them to the relevant authorities in each country. And I think it's also important to note that this is part of a broader investigation into online child exploitation in Australia and globally as well. So that information will go towards that investigation. Such a mammoth task. Jane Murphy in the Pilbara, thanks very much for bringing the story to Australia Wide. Thanks, Sinead. This is ABC Australia Wide. Let's now look at changes to the Medicare patient rebate scheme that come into effect today that may have an effect on what you pay at the doctors. From today, a bulk billing incentive increases to between $20.65 and $39.70 for most appointments, depending on where you live, for GPs who bulk bill children, pensioners and healthcare card holders. To discuss what this will mean for regional and rural patients, I'm joined by Dr Nicole Higgins, who's the president of the Royal Australian College of General Practitioners. Now, Dr Nicole Higgins, you live in Mackay in Queensland, so you know firsthand how important this is to patients. Tell me what differences they should expect. So this is a targeted measure by the government to help support GPs help our vulnerable patients, so kids, pensioners and healthcare card holders. We know that people have been avoiding going to see their GP because of uh, costs, but what we also know is that GPs have been subsidising patient appointments for a long time because of the Medicare freeze. So this is now going to give a lot of support and flexibility uh, to doctors and practices and patients. Tell me about, so there is a part of it that's based around location. Tell me about how that works. So the more rural you are, the bigger the incentive. We know that people in rural and regional areas have poorer poorer health and don't live as long as people in the cities. So by encouraging people to go and see their doctor, and especially if they're struggling financially, this is why it's been, uh, the incentive is much much more in in rural and regional areas. 
when you say incentive, the incentive is for the GP to provide the bulk billing, that's what you mean? Yeah, so what's been happening for the last 10 years, we've had a Medicare freeze. That means that Medicare just simply hasn't you know, kept up with the cost of delivering care. And look, and to be honest, this bulk billing incentive still doesn't cover the cost of providing care. But as, as GPs, we know when our, our patients are struggling and we our bulk billing rate is still around 80%. So this is one way of ensuring that the people who really need it can be supported. So for doctors operating in the bush, and we all know that it's one, it's difficult to see the doctor in regional Australia, it's difficult to get an appointment, and also it's hard to hold on to doctors there as well. Do you think this will go some way to encouraging doctors to stay and operate in the bush? This will make uh, people stay not necessarily for the financial reasons. It, it's it's there because of the communities, because of their families, etc. But this certainly helps. But we need more than this. We've had, uh, you know, the last 10 years, so much money ripped out of primary care. We need to make sure that now the government continues investing in general practice, especially in rural and regional areas. One of the things that we know is that every person in rural and remote Australia is missing out on just under $1,000 of healthcare access compared to someone in the city. So we need to make sure the money goes where the people really need it. So for those that won't be bulk billed, so that's people who are not under 16 and not over 55, what does it mean for them? Are they going to be paying more for their doctor now? Well, it's going to be up to each individual practice and GP. But yes, unless you are in those categories, there's no incentive to bulk bill. But it also means that doctors are taking more than a you know, 50-60% discount to actually bulk bill somebody who doesn't, who doesn't qualify for the incentive. Dr Nicole Higgins, who's the President of the Royal Australian College of GPs, thanks very much for talking to Australia Wide. Pleasure. Thank you. ABC Australia Wide. I think it's wonderful. I think everyone should come and see it. On ABC Radio. Having a baby as a teenager comes with a whole range of challenges, like finishing school. And it's even harder for young parents living in rural or regional Australia. But one school in the New South Wales Hunter region is helping students get their HSC and care for their children. I'm out here at Narnia Early Learning Centre in Waratah and Kyla Ray is telling me all about my ABC colleague. You've met Bluey? Oh my gosh. This childcare centre is a bit different though. Next door is a school where Kyla Ray's mum is in class study. I actually moved out of home um, when I fell pregnant with my daughter when I just turned 18 and um, I had to have a support worker as part of that lease and my support worker actually mentioned it to me. She said, oh, well, there's actually a young parent school you can go to, you know, they have a daycare right next door that you can take your kids to. Jess Gillespie now has three kids, Kyla Ray, Zion and Regan. And right now she's in the middle of completing her year 12. I'm here talking to Jess at the Young Parents College in Waratah. It's one of the few independent schools around the country that allows young parents to still have the high school experience. The Young Parents College is designed to accommodate the balance of parenting and being a student. That's why the childcare is next door. So if anything happens, you know, the the daycare will ring the phone that's in the classroom, you know, you can always go up and see them and check on them. 
it's easy for pickups and drop-offs. You know, you're not going to a separate location and having to make it here. Classes begin at 9.30 and there's even a school bus that comes to collect some of the young parents. Teen pregnancy might feel rare. Since the Young Parents College first opened in 2000, the rate of teenagers becoming pregnant has steadily declined. But if you live in a regional area, there's a higher likelihood of it occurring than if you're in the city. Newcastle and around the Upper Hunter have a higher than average rate of teenage pregnancy in keeping with this trend. So we've got um, 52 at our Newcastle campus and 26 at our Wyong campus. I have been here since 2005, so I've seen a lot of them. We probably get about an average of seven to ten per year graduating. Um, some of them don't make it through to finishing year 12 and that's fine. Some of them have other plans in that they want to get a certificate course or um, they find a pathway to employment and will support whatever they want to do. Amanda McInnes runs the Young Parents College program for St Philip's Christian College over two sites, one in Waratah and another in Wyong. Something like the Young Parents College is a rarity across Australia. A school styled for young parents where you can bring your baby along and learn at the same time. There's a lot of stigma, even today, around being a teen parent. In society, there can be an attitude that, well, you got yourself into this. I mean, I don't think I've been anywhere where people haven't looked and stared at me. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, it's definitely because you think, oh, well, now that I'm a mother, this is probably all I'm ever going to be. And a lot of people will tell you that too. You've stuffed your life up, you know, you've made the wrong decision. This is it now, this is your life. Just because they fall pregnant at an early age, they shouldn't have the right to be educated disrupted. Everybody should have access to education and not be discriminated against because of the fact that they're pregnant or they're a teen parent. What has it meant to be in school for the last three years and then finally get towards the end where you're going to graduate? And did you ever think that you would end up finishing school with with children? No, I honestly had my doubts at first, especially with everything that parenting entails and how full on it is. Mm. I didn't think I would make it here. So now being only a few months off of graduating, it's it's crazy that I actually did it. I'm really Mm. proud of myself actually. (laughs) It's because it is such a safe place and they get the level of support that they Mm. get. They're able to really hook in and do some schoolwork, Mm. which is good. Mm. Um, Because as they start to do that, as they start to achieve, they start to build some self-confidence. Academic self-confidence then flows through into other areas of confidence and Mm. um, life starts to change. So what do you guys want to do once you graduate this year and, and finish? I want to study veterinary medicine. So obviously with the average ATAR that you get here, the 67, that's not possible yet. So I'm going to do a diploma in vet nursing to get the credits to then transfer into veterinary medicine. But that's the dream. Sometimes I think about purposely failing so I don't have to leave. Because it's just so sad. Like, I'll just miss them all so much. Like, they all become like... Family. Like your mum. They're all like mother figures in your life, maternal figures. And they all speak life into you and encourage you and support you and... I think that's one of the best things about coming is you, you feel a, a sense of belonging, a place where you belong. belong. Isn't that fantastic? Jessica Gillespie ending that story from Larice Dixon. And do remember, you can hear more of this story in the latest episode of Newcastle Cast out now on the ABC Listen app. Angie Smith's teenage son was complaining of a headache when he abruptly lost consciousness. She didn't realise it, but her seemingly healthy 15-year-old was having a stroke. 
Now the Central Queensland mum wants to raise awareness so that other parents can recognise the signs of childhood stroke. Jasmine Hines has this story from Rockhampton. It was just a ticking time bomb that we didn't realise was there. It was a typical Saturday morning for Emerald local Angie Smith when her son Riley had a headache. And I went to get him some Panadol for his head and I told him to sit up and have it. And when he went, he put his hand up and he went to tell me he can't. And then that was it. He was unconscious. And I screamed out to my daughter to call the ambulance. So she did. And the ambulance were really, really good. Like we had four ambulance officers here within like five minutes. It was so quick. And um, then they came in and they obviously just took over and got him to the hospital. But it was it was crazy because I didn't know what the hell was happening because he was he's a healthy kid. Riley was rushed to the Emerald Hospital and later flown on an emergency flight to Brisbane where he was diagnosed with a Category 4 stroke. I had always associated strokes with older people. I never, ever thought that my healthy 15-year-old child would have had a stroke, and and he did, and we... We were just lucky. Like, there's a lot of people who aren't so lucky. But, um, yeah, I, I just would like to get that awareness out of the, out there that paediatric strokes is a real thing and people need to be aware of that. The Stroke Foundation CEO, Lisa Murphy, says about 600 Australian children have a stroke each year, but many parents are unaware of the risk. So, not... All that common, but not insignificant, especially when you think of the impacts that a stroke will have on that child's life for the rest of their life. When Riley got to Brisbane, Angie says he had brain surgery for several hours. So, yeah, it was a very, very long, long day. And all I kept thinking was, I've got a 50-50 chance here. Either my boy's going to live or he's not. The surgery was successful but he was kept in a coma in intensive care for up to 15 days to help him heal. When they woke him up, they told us that because he had a Category 4 stroke, which is the highest, um, he would possibly never walk or talk or remember anything. (laughs) And um, they told us to prepare ourselves for that. And then they woke him up and... He looked at the doctor, they took the tube out of his throat and he looked at the doctor and he said, can I please have my mobile phone? And we, honestly, we, everyone in that room just looked at each other, we couldn't believe it. While he couldn't move his left side, with rehabilitation, Riley has since regained all movement in his body. And Angie says about three months ago, he also had successful heart surgery to fix the blocked aorta which caused the stroke. He is doing so well. He's back at school now. He's just, he is doing amazing. And if it wasn't for the ambulance officers getting here so quick and Emerald getting him to Brisbane and all the team at Brisbane, honestly, we would have had a whole different outcome. Dr Murphy says if you notice weakness, slurred speech or facial drooping, you should immediately call triple zero. She says some signs of stroke can be less obvious in children. Symptoms can also include seizures, headaches or out-of-character behaviour. Most important thing is calling triple zero. 
Um, don't delay. Don't call the GP. You, the sooner you can get to hospital, the absolute better. Um, the outcomes are so much better. Every minute you save is a is 1.9 million brain cells saved. So um, you really have to get to hospital so you can get the treatment. Angie says life for her family has changed forever, but she's grateful for the hospitals, doctors and ambulance workers who cared for her son, as well as the wider Emerald community and her employer. It's been crazy, our work. I work for Sojits and so does my husband. Uh, they got behind us. They put on a gala night. They raised so much money like so that I could stay off of work and be with Riley when he was home after he had his brain operation. But it, it life has changed for us now, I guess. we Where we used to be focused on other things, we're not so much focused on that anymore. It's family's everything. And and you, until you know we lose it, you don't realise how important it actually is. Emerald mum Angie Smith speaking to our reporter Jasmine Hines. You're listening to Australia Wide. On ABC Radio. Now finally to a working dog competition that was held across Australia and New Zealand that's proven that dogs truly run rings around their master in distances covered in a day's work. Earl the Kelpie lives near Fingal in Tasmania and this energetic working dog won the challenge clocking 1,343 k's over 21 days. That's around 70 k's a day. Just imagine those little legs running all that distance. Claire Burberry caught up with Earl and his owner Alex Jones, the livestock manager at Fingal Pastoral on Malahide Farm. Uh, I come around it. I've seen it being done a few years, and I had a couple, uh, one of my mates, done it. And then, yeah, we seen it on Facebook, so we put it through it, and away we went. So I went for three months, and they picked you 21 days out of your three months, and then, yeah, they went off your best, and that was your score. And how did they track Earl? I had a GPS collar on his uh, round his neck, and it tracked it, and you got it on a GPS, and then, yeah, you just uploaded it and sent it through to the copper people, and they done it. Were you able to track his progress? I had some rough idea, but yeah, you, they know, but we sort of have a rough idea of what he does. And I'm looking at your ute, and you've got Earl sitting on the back having a bit of a yawn, but you've got a few other dogs also on the back of the ute. What made you decide to enter Earl? Uh, Earl's just my probably one of my better dogs. He's the youngest. Um, yeah, he runs a fair few. He does quite a few bit of work for me, so yeah, that's why I picked him, young and strong. So <laughs> run bloody fast, so that's ah, good. Good dog. What were you up to during the competition on the farm? Uh, we was just doing a bit of shear and um, had a new contractor come through and, yeah, he really put us under our paces. They're doing 2,000 sheep a day, so, yeah, we had to get a bit going. So we're on the beautiful property of Malahide. It's in the Fingal Valley. It's quite a large property. Yeah, yeah, it's a big property with large-scale stocks, so, yeah, that's probably helped. So if Earl was to run from one end of the farm to the other, how long would that take him? <laughs> It'd take him a fair while. It's about a, a half-hour drive each way up and down the farm, so it'd take Earl a fair while to get up there again. Can you tell us a little bit about Earl, where you found Earl and how you trained Earl? And I believe he has a little bit of a slight disadvantage physically. Yeah, I bred Earl, so I bred him out of my two best dogs, and unfortunately we don't have his mother anymore, but, yeah, he's real good. He, yeah, he's... um. 
he trained off my best dog, which is his father, so that's probably an advantage to him. And, yeah, he uh, poked himself in the eye with something that I'm unsure of, and now he has a uh, white eye. But he's still able to work pretty hard. Yeah, he's able to work hard. He just bumps into stuff sometimes on that offside, so... Hopefully just some nice fluffy sheep. What does the winner get from this competition? Uh, so they put a little surprise in there this year. So it's uh, you get 12 bags of dog food for the competition and then a, a following 12 once you won. And then you get a free grand cash prize, a nice big trophy, and this year they chucked in a sneaky, you get a little pup, little Kelpie pup. So They've given you a, a Kelpie pup as a prize? Yeah, they, uh, Matthew Johnson kindly donated it. He's through the Cobber people. He's an ambassador, so, yeah, he kindly donated me a pup. And you were happy to welcome the pup? Oh, yeah, very welcome. It's always good to have another one on board. Here. I could watch working dogs all day. I find it the most brilliant thing. Fingal Pastoral Livestock Manager Alex Jones chatting there to Claire Burberry about his champion Kelpie dog Earl. And that is Australia-wide for this Wednesday. I'm Sinead Mangan. I hope you're having a lovely evening. Cheerio. ABC Listen.